it is my joy this morning uh, to jump into our Christmas prayer series, and we've been about three weeks into this, and uh, we've been talking a little bit, how do we really kind of make a shift? How do we move uh, from what I just simply call a wish list mentality? A lot of Christians kind of have this little wish list mentality. They wish that things would change, and they wish that their family would get better, and they wish that financially they had a little more money, and they wish they could get a new job, and they wish that things would change in their lives, but we all recognize wishes don't do a whole lot, but prayer changes everything. Amen? And so the heartbeat of this whole series is how do we move from a wishless mentality into a life of prayer so that we can actually begin to pray the change that we want to see? Because that's what you can actually do. You can pray the change that you want to see. You can pray the change you want to see in your own heart. You can pray the change you want to see in your family. You can pray the change you want to see in your community, your church, your nation, and your world. Because that's the power of prayer. Prayer changes things. And we have the opportunity through prayer to partner with God to see real lasting change happen in our hearts and our lives and in the people and the world around us. And so today we're going to kind of jump into that. Uh, let's just revisit a couple thoughts. We said, what are Christmas prayers? We said Christmas prayers are prayers that are scripted from the story of Christmas. Literally, the scripture becomes the script of our prayers. And we've been kind of just pulling out some principles from Luke chapter 2. And we're going to read it again today. And we're going to just pull out some principles of prayer uh, from the story of Christmas. The virgin birth, the miraculous conception of Jesus Christ, the, the literally the foundation stone of our faith. It's where it began as Jesus became a man and God put on flesh and dwelt among us. Emmanuel, as, as Ian already said this morning, what an awesome opportunity we get to celebrate as we worship Christ. And out of that story of the virgin birth of Jesus Christ, we get to pull these amazing principles of prayer. Now, one of the things that we said uh, as we kind of started this thing, we've got our snowflakes up here on the trees and everything looks so beautiful, by the way, over here in Holly Pond. You've done a great job. And, uh, but we said one of the things we want to do every week is we want to agree together in prayer. And so that's what we're going to do real quick before we kind of dive into the message today. Uh, if you've got a snowflake up there with your name on it or your prayer request on it, we're just going to come together and agree in prayer. And the Bible says this. Jesus actually said this. He said, if two of you on earth would touch and agree asking anything, it would be done for them by my Father in heaven. So Jesus said there's power when we touch and agree. There's power in agreement. So I'm going to challenge you to do something, maybe a little weird, maybe not too weird. If you feel comfortable, reach out and maybe take your neighbor's hand, join somebody's hand this morning. I'm going to come down here and grab my sweetie's hand. Join somebody's hand. Come right here and join Pastor Ian's hand right there. Oh, there you go. All right. Amen. Well, let's just do this. Let's just uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. So Father, today we thank you for your word. We thank you for the promise of your word. I thank you today that as we touch and agree, literally touch and agree, Father, that every promise that you have made is yes and amen. Father, we agree together today that every prayer that we have prayed according to your word, which is your will, would become a reality. Father, that every family would be restored. That every lost individual would be saved. That the sick would be healed. And Father, that every financial need would be met. Father, we just declare your word today that says you are our healer and our redeemer. You are our rescuer and you are our strength. Lord, we declare today that you're meeting every need today according to your riches and glory. Physical, financial, spiritual, relational. You are the God of more than enough. And God, we agree together today with everybody in this room and every prayer request on those trees behind us this morning. We declare and agree that the God of heaven and earth would move 
heaven and earth on our behalf today. God, that your kingdom would come and that your will would be done on earth today as it is in heaven. And we ask it this morning in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise this morning. Amen. Well, let's jump right into Luke chapter 2. And uh, we're going to start at verse 22 through verse 39. The Bible says, Then it was time for their purification offering, speaking of Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus, as required by the law of Moses. And after the birth of a child, so after the birth of a child, so his parents took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. And the law of the Lord says, If a woman's first child is a boy, he must be dedicated to the Lord. So they offered the sacrifice required in the law of the Lord, either a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And at that time there was a man in Jerusalem named Simon, and he was a righteous and devout man and was eagerly waiting. Y'all say that with me. He was what? Eagerly waiting. He was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Messiah, the Lord's Messiah. And that day the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required, Simon was there. He took the child in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised, for I have seen your salvation. I want to stop right there for just a second because I believe this. I want to, I want to say today that I believe that it is the will of God and the heart of God that we would not only pray the prayers that we're praying, but that we would actually see the salvation of the Lord. That we would see those prayers become a reality. That we would see the petitions that we have made come literally before our eyes. That we would see the salvation of God. That we would see the soul saved. That we would see the needs met. That we would see the family restored. That we would see the bodies healed. Now here's an awesome thing I know about prayer. Prayer doesn't have a shelf life. And what I simply mean by this is our prayers outlive us. Right? Right now in heaven today, I, I've got my mom, Kelly's mom, my grandma, my grandpa. They've done went on before us to meet the Lord in heaven. And I can guarantee you without a shadow of a doubt today that their prayers are still prevailing in our life today. We are still walking right now, I believe, in the fulfillment of the prayers that they prayed. And I understand that some of the prayers we prayed are never going to be answered until we go home to be with the Lord. And they're going to come years and maybe years and maybe years and maybe even generations after we live our lives. But I also believe this. I also believe there are many prayers that we pray that we can see the salvation of the Lord. That we can see God do what He said He was going to do. That we can see our prayers become a reality. And today the principle of prayer we're going to talk about in just a few minutes, I really believe is the key to seeing the fulfillment of those prayers. I believe what we're going to talk about today is going to be the key to us seeing those promises become a reality as our prayers really come to life. And as Simon, we literally can see the salvation of the Lord with our very eyes. Amen? Alright, so let's look back at the scripture. He says, I have seen your salvation which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations. He is the glory of your people Israel. And Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. And then Simon blessed him and he said to Mary, the baby's mother, This child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall, and he will be a joy to many others. He has been sent as a sign from God, and many will oppose him. And as a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your very soul. And Anna, a prophet, was also there in the temple. And she was the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. And she was very old. Her husband died when they had been married only seven years. And she lived as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple but stayed there day and night worshiping God with fasting and prayer. 
And she came along just as Simon was talking with Mary and Joseph. And she began praising God. She talked about the child to everyone who had been waiting expectantly. Y'all say it with me. They had been what? Waiting expectantly for God to rescue Jerusalem. And when Jesus' parents had fulfilled all the requirements of the law of the Lord, they returned home to Nazareth in Galilee. So look at that first point there. Just refresh. We said Christmas prayers are prophetic prayers, right? They declare identity over activity. And I want to just remind you and encourage you this morning. When we pray prophetic prayers, right? The Bible says they called Him Jesus, the name given to Him by the angel, even before He was conceived in the womb. And so literally, Mary and Joseph began to prophesy. They began to declare that Jesus was going to be who God had called Him to see to be. And we recognized a couple of weeks ago that when we pray prophetic prayers, we begin to call out the identity of people. We begin to call them what God calls them. Amen? And instead of rehearsing their activity, instead of telling God how bad they are, how messed up they are, how they blew it again, how they screwed it again, how they did this again, how that happened again, instead of rehearsing their activity, something powerful happens when we begin to declare their identity. When we begin to declare that they are delivered and they are healed, that they are saved, that they are set free, that they are obedient and they are submissive, that they are filled with compassion and they are filled with love, that we begin to declare that they are the person that God has called them to be. Instead of rehearsing activity, we declare identity. Amen? And we begin to call people up to be the person God has called them to be. How many of you are glad that somewhere along the line somebody called you up? Somebody called you up, somebody called you out, and somebody called you in to what God had purposed and planned for you. And I'm so glad that when God looked at us, He didn't say there's a bunch of dirty, rotten sinners. He said, no, there's a precious creation that I have loved, and I died for them, and I want to rescue them, and I want to redeem them. And He calls us out of our sin and our stuff to be His sons and His daughters. Amen? And so prophetic prayers declare identity over activity. Prophetic prayers call those things that are not as though they were, right? The Bible says, let the weak say I'm strong. Let the sick say I'm healed. Let the poor say I am rich. Why? Because all of a sudden we begin to agree with God. We begin to declare that we have what God says we have, that we are who God says we are, and we can do what God says we can do. Again, we're not going to pray the problem. We're going to pray the promise. And we're going to prophetically decree and declare that we have what God says we have and we can do what God says we can do and we are who God says we are. Why? Because let God be true, the Bible says, and let every man be a liar. Last week, the Holy, Holy Spirit really quickened this in my heart. He said, Keith, many times when we're praying that way, our flesh rises up against us, right? And you start declaring you're healed when you're really sick and you start declaring you're blessed when you're really poor and you start declaring that your family is saved when they're really, really lost, <laughs> And sometimes your flesh will rise up and you'll actually say, well, you can't say that. That's not true. You're lying. But how many of you know this? That's what the Holy Spirit said to me. He said, Keith, how many of you know? He said, how many, how many times? How, he said, Keith, do you know that every time you agree with God, you're never lying? Every time you agree with God, how can you be in a lie if you're agreeing with God? Because here's the reality. Circumstances change. Right? If you declare activity, their activity is going to change. They might be really good today and be really horrible tomorrow and really good the next day and really horrible tomorrow. And let's just be honest, we are the same way too, right? I mean, some days you look saved, you smell saved, and you act saved. And some days you don't. But you're not your activity. You are your identity. And that's who you are. And so all of a sudden we begin to agree with God. So anytime I'm agreeing with God, I'm declaring His authority over the circumstances. 
Because the Word of God, the Bible says, is forever settled in the heavens and God doesn't change. But circumstances, situations, and people do. So when I agree with God over the circumstance, what I am agreeing and declaring is that I'm going to stand with God who doesn't change instead of agree with circumstances that are always changing. And then the last thing we said about prophetic prayers is we said that they edify us and they encourage us and they comfort us, they build us up. So when I'm prophesying, when I'm praying prophetic prayers, I'm literally praying life over the people I'm praying for. Let me know that if you're cursing people in prayer, you're not really praying a good prayer. (laughs) And if we're not really careful, sometimes we'll pray against instead of pray for people. But when we prophesy, it speaks edification, exhortion, and comfort, the Bible says. And so it brings life and not death. But not only does it bring life and not death to the people we're praying for, it brings life and not death to us. See, one of the ways I know I've really been in a, in, in a prophetic time of prayer is I leave that time of prayer fired up. <laughs> I mean, I don't know about you, I've, I've had some of them moan and groan prayer times. You ever had some prayer times where you walk discouraged? You walk out of that prayer time and you're discouraged and you're defeated and you're depressed because you've been spent the last hour telling God how bad your life is. And you walk away like, oh, golly, that was rough. And then I've had those prayer times where instead of telling God how big my problems are, I start telling my problems how big my God is. And I walk out of those prayer times, I'm fired up and I'm ready because I know I just touched the heart of God and something just changed because I agreed with God instead of agreed with the circumstances and situation of my life. So Christmas prayers are prophetic prayers. And the second thing is we said that Christmas prayers are prayers of praise. They're prayers of praise. And we said praise reminds us of who He is and what He has done, right? Praise reminds us of who He is and what He's done. All of a sudden we start praising God. We remember He's our healer. He's our deliverer. He's our redeemer. He's our rescuer. He's the lifter of our head, right? He's a good, good father. He's our shepherd. He's our shield. He's our foreguard. He's our rear guard. He walks beside me. He walks in front of me. He walks behind me. And all of a sudden, you start remembering who He is. He's a God that loves you. He's a God that compares, cares about you. He is a God of compassion and a God of grace, a God of might and a God of power. He's the God of war who knows how to fight for His children. And all of a sudden, when you praise Him, you remember who He is. And then you praise Him, you remember what He's done, right? You remember that He has healed you and He has delivered you and He has blessed you and He has prospered you. And if we would just be honest with ourselves in this room here today, if we would just stop right now and everyone begin to go around the room and if we could remember everything that God has done for us in our lives, we would never get to leave here. (laughs) If you really rehearsed everything that God has done for you, you'd be rehearsing it till Jesus comes back. Because God has already showed up and God has already showed out so many times over and over in our lives. The problem is, is we forget the good and we remember the bad. We forget the promise and the provision and we remember the problem and the pain. But if we would honestly begin to praise God, what happens when we praise Him is we remember. Man, we remember all the things that God has done. And He is faithful to do it again. Amen. Because the Lord our God changes not. The next thing we said is praise invites His presence, right? Praise invites the presence of God and releases the spirit of prophecy. God inhabits the praises of His people and His presence changes everything. And then the Bible said in Revelations that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So when I testify about what He has done, I'm literally prophesying about what He's going to do. Think about that. When I testify that He has healed me, all of a sudden I got faith to believe that He's going to heal me again. When I testify that He has provided, I got faith to believe He's going to provide again. When I testify that He has restored, I got faith to believe He's going to restore again. And all of a sudden, when I praise Him for what He has done, I testify about Jesus 
I'm also prophesying about what he's going to do in my life. And then we says praise eradicates fear, cultivates faith, and produces corresponding action. The presence of God, perfect love, casts out fear. And all of a sudden, when I remember what he has done, I have faith for what he's going to do. Right? When I remember what he has done, I have faith for what he's going to do. And then it produces that corresponding action. One of my favorite, one of my favorite preachers, Pastor Ian Westbrook. I don't know if y'all have ever met him. He, he says this, this is what he says. He said, when God moves you, He moves you. When God moves you, He moves you. And He moves you to action. And this is what I begin to recognize in my own life. I begin to recognize, the Lord said, Keith, He said, do you realize that you pray about what you care about? You pray about what you care about. The more you care about something, the more you pray about something. The less you care about something, the less you pray about something. But then He said this, He said, Keith, do you realize the one thing there's only one thing that I need to change your life. There's only one thing that I need to change your family. There's only one thing that I need to change your finances. There's only one thing that I need to change your community, to change your church, to change your nation, and change the world. He said, I only need one thing. I said, Lord, what is it? He said, I just need one willing vessel. I just need somebody that will let me do my will through them. And what I begin to recognize is that when I praise God in prayer, it eradicates fear, it cultivates faith, and then it moves me to action. Why? Because if I care about it enough to pray about it, then I'm probably the person God's looking for to bring change in those things that I'm praying about. I'm the one, and that's all He needs. God just needs one person to bring radical change to your family. God just needs one person to bring radical change to a church, to a community, to a nation, to a world. Just one. Just read history. You know what you'll do when you read history? You'll read history. You'll read accounts of individual lives. Individuals that led nations. Individuals that shaped nations. Individuals that shaped communities. Individuals that touched the world. And yes, none of them did it by themselves. But it's always traced back to one person. The good, the bad, and the ugly can always be traced back to one person that was willing to do whatever they were believing to be done. Think about what would happen if you and I were willing to be that person so that we can literally become a part of the solution to the prayers that we're praying. Amen? Alright, so let's look at our next point today. This is where we're going to kind of hang out this morning. So Christmas prayers are not just prophetic prayers and not just prayers of praise. Christmas prayers are persistent prayers. They're persistent prayers. We praise God, we prophesy, and then we persist in prayer. Now let me just go ahead and say this. This element today, this principle of prayer we're going to talk about today is the least glamorous of all the ones. It's not really that fun. Man, when you're praising God and the presence of God shows up, that's fun. Feels good. When you're prophesying and you're declaring and decreeing what God says over your family, over your life, man, that's fun. But when you're persistent, and you're persistent, and you're persisting, and you just keep on praying, and keep on praying, and keep on believing, and keep on trusting, and keep on serving, and keep on living, and just keep on doing the thing you know you're supposed to be doing because God told us to do it. That's not glamorous. That's not glorious. And it usually don't feel real good. But let me tell you something significant today. I believe this element of prayer, persistent prayer, is the key that makes our praise and our prophecy become a reality. 
It is the key that makes our praise and our prophecy become a reality in our life. It is that persistent prayer and that persistent life that's going to bring forth the fulfillment of what God wants to do. As we read in Luke chapter 2, just think about a couple of the characters we read about this morning. We read about Simon, who was a devout man, a mighty man of God, full and filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says that he waited eagerly for the salvation of the Lord. He waited eagerly for the salvation of the Lord. And then we heard about Anna the prophet, right? Who had been married and seven years later her husband died and now she was 84 years old. And the Bible says this, the Bible says she never left the temple and she stayed there day and night praying and fasting, worshiping God through prayer and fasting. She never left the temple, she stayed in that place of prayer. And I want to just encourage you in something today. We've got to stay in a place of prayer. We've got to stay in a place of of praise. We've got to stay in a place of prophecy. If you will stay in a place of prayer, and you will stay in a place of praise, and you will stay in a place of prophecy, guess what will happen? You will persist. You will endure. You will overcome. You will come out on the other side, not just with victory in your own heart, but with the promise of God becoming a reality in your life. And it is that persistence in prayer and that persistence in our life that's going to ultimately bring the victory and the promise and the change that we've been praying and believing God for. So let's look at a couple of scripture. Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Before we read that, look at our next point on your outline. Persistent prayers are faith-filled prayers that see the end. Persistent prayers are faith-filled prayers that see the end. Let's read Habakkuk and we'll come back and talk about that. Habakkuk 2, 1-4 through 4 says, I will climb up to my watchtower and stand at my guard post. And there I will what? Don't y'all love that word? I hate it. And there I will wait to see what the Lord says and how He will answer my complaint. Let's talk about that for just a second. I love the wording of the Bible because God always says what He means and means what He says. And this is what God said. Habakkuk said, He says, I'm going to climb my watchtower. I'm going to get in my place. I'm going to stand my guard. I'm going to stay my post, right? I'm going to go where I'm supposed to go. I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do. I'm going to get in that place where I can hear the voice of God. And this is what he says. He says, I'm going to wait. Now look at this. He says, I'm going to wait to see what the Lord will say to me. I'm going to wait so I can see what God says. How many know you can't see what God says? You can't see words. You hear words. Right in the Old Testament, prophets were the people that heard from God. But you know what prophets were called? They weren't called hearers. They were called seers. Why? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Persistent prayers are faith-filled prayers that see the end. So here's what has to happen. You have to hear what God says to see what God wants to do. You have to hear to see. I'm going to wait to see what God says to me. Because if I can hear what He says, I can see what He wants to do. And part of persistent prayer, part of praying persistent prayers, is that we have to pray prayers of faith. We have to believe that God is going to do what He said He's going to do. So where does faith come from? Right? I just quoted Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by 
hearing. It doesn't come by seeing. The world says, show me and I'll believe it. God says, hear me and then you'll see it. If you believe me, you'll see it, but you won't see it. You won't believe it just because you see it. The world wants to see it and then they're going to believe it. God says, if you'll believe me first, then you'll see what I'm going to do in your life. Why? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So persistent prayers are prayers of faith that see the end of a thing. They see what God says because they have heard from the Lord. So you got to stay in a place of prayer because you need to hear from God. Pastor Egan said it earlier. It's not a word from him. It's not a word from me. It's a word from God that will change your life. Habakkuk said, I'm going to stand my guard. I'm going to get at the watch post because I want to see what God says. I'm going to be persistent in prayer. I'm going to be persistent in praise. I'm going to be persistent in prophecy because I'm going to stay in a place where I can hear what God says so I can see what He wants to do in my life. Now look at the next few verses. Verse 2. And then the Lord said to me, Write my answer plainly on tablets so that the runner can carry the the correct message to others. Now look at verse 3. And this vision is for a future time. It describes the what? It describes the end. And it will be fulfilled. And if it seems slow in coming, wait patiently. Wait patiently. Wait for it. Wait for it. Wait for it. For it will surely take place. It will not be delayed. Let me give you some insight real quick. Again, I love the wording of the Scriptures. So God says... The vision I'm going to give you, when you hear what I say, you're going to see what I want you to see, which is the promise and the vision that I have for your life. And once you hear it, you'll see it. And then he says, if it seems slow, how many know it seems like God's got it in granny gear? If it seems slow, God says, wait for it. If it seems slow, wait for it. If it seems like it's never going to happen, keep waiting for it. Keep waiting for it. Keep waiting for it. And then he says, for it will surely come and it will not be delayed. Now I want to invite you to do something. I want to invite you to take a little journey with me and let's climb up about 100,000 feet into the presence of God. Let's take a chair beside the throne room of heaven. And if you could sit beside God, what you would recognize is that what seems like slow to us, God has an appointed time. So God says it's going to seem slow because it's the end of the thing and it's for a future time and it's going to seem slow but wait for it. It's going to seem slow but wait for it. It's going to seem slow for wait but wait for it. It's going to seem slow but wait for it because it won't be delayed. Years ago the Lord told me this. He said, Keith, he said, I'm never early and I'm never late. I am perfect. Therefore, I'm always just in time. And I told God I wish you'd be early. (laughs) But if you're perfect, perfect, God's perfect. If you're perfect, you can't be early because that wouldn't be perfect. And if you're perfect, you can't be late because that wouldn't be perfect. If you're perfect, you're always just in time. At just the right time. So God says it seems slow, but it's not delayed because it will always come at the perfect time. Just in time, it'll happen. So wait for it. Now look at the next verse. 
He says, and look at the proud. They trust in themselves and their lives are crooked. But the righteous will live by their faithfulness to God. So look at that next point on your outline. God always prophesies the end. God always prophesies the end. God declares the promise, not the process. God never declares the process. God always declares the promise. And it is persistence. It takes persistence to get through the process to receive the promise. It takes persistence to get through the process to receive the promise. Why? Because God always prophesies the end. God always declares the promise. He never declares the process. Think about the times that you've got words from God. You've got a word from God. You're praying for your family. And God gives you a word for a family member. You're praying for your finances. God gives you a word for your finances. You're praying for your community. You're praying for your nation. You're praying for the world. And I don't know, I hope you're getting words from God. I hope you're hearing from the Lord. And God gives you these words. And every time God speaks, you know what God does? God declares the end. He declares the end. He gives you the promise. What He doesn't tell you is that there's a process. And the reason there's a process, I want you to hear this, this is significant. The reason there's a process is because everything that you pray about outside of yourself requires someone else's will to be submitted to God. Everything you pray about outside of yourself, you're praying for a family member, you're praying even for finances, you're praying for different things, healing and other people. Everything you pray about outside of yourself requires somebody else's will, their will. See, God's given us a free will. God says, choose you this day whom you're going to serve. And everyone that's in this room know this, right? We all know that there have been times you did exactly what God wanted you to do. And there have been times you did not do what God wanted you to do. And you knew it. You knew you weren't doing it. God said do this. And you're like, no, I don't want to do that. I'm going to do this. And you knew what you were doing was not what God wanted you to do, but you did it anyway. Why? Because you have a will. So hear me. Your prayers do not violate other people's wills. Your prayers work with God or create a place for God to work through you and through your prayers to soften their will, to shape their will, and to bring them to a place where hopefully they can see the will of God and respond to it. See, one of the prayers Kelly and I pray, when we're praying for people, specifically those that don't know the Lord, one of the prayers we pray consistently is God open their eyes that they can see and open their ears that they can hear. Why? Because the Bible says that Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the hearts and the minds of those who do not believe the gospel. So the first thing that has to happen is they have to have eyes that see and ears that hear so they can respond by faith to what God wants to do. So we pray, God, remove the blinders and open their eyes and open their ears so they can hear and see what you want to do in their lives. So when I pray the will of God, which is the Word of God, God's Word reveals God's will, when I pray the will of God or the Word of God over someone else, my prayers work with God by the Holy Spirit to shape their will, to soften their heart, to give them eyes to see and ears to hear so that they can respond by faith to the will of God. Because how many of you know when you pray for people, it's not about getting them to do your will. It's about getting them to do God's will, which is the best for everybody involved. I mean, you know, if everybody in your family always did God's will, things would be really good. <laughs> well, let's back it up a second. Because how many of you recognize that sometimes you'll even pray for God to change something in you, and then you'll resist change? 
Right? God, God, I, I, I want to I love people more than I've ever loved them. And God will send some really honorary person into your life. You're like, I don't, I'm not into that, Lord. I, don't, I can't stand being around there. Right? You, you'll, pray, you'll pray for God to make you a people person. He'll start pushing you out in front. And you're like, I ain't going there. I ain't going to do that. You'll pray that God will use you to introduce people to Christ and He'll give you opportunities to share the gospel and you'll just zip your life. No, I don't, this ain't the right time, Lord. I'm not ready. I'm not ready. See, the reality is, is, is for any prayer to be answered, it requires somebody to say yes to God. And so there's a process to prayers being answered because my prayer doesn't violate your will. My prayer helps to shape and soften your will so you can respond to God's will. For your life. And the reality is, is it takes time for people to do that. And let's be honest, it takes time even for us to do it when we're the ones praying for ourselves. <laughs> we know the prayers we're praying and we want to change. But even then, we still sometimes resist change. So there is a promise and then there is a process that gets you there. God always declares the end, the promise. He never declares the process. I don't know. I, I grew up watching Bugs Bunny. Any Bugs Bunny folks in the house? Anybody? Y'all remember that? And, and Elmer Fudd would always try to catch Bugs Bunny, and, and he'd hang that carrot on the stick out of, in front of him, and he'd come out of the hole eating the little carrot. Y'all remember that? Y'all just nod and act like, yeah, we remember that, Pastor Keith. That's really good. So, The promise is the carrot that keeps us moving in the right direction, that keeps us pursuing the thing that God has promised to give to us. And so God always declares the promise, but there is a process, and it is persistence. That gets us through the process. Look with me in Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, 35 through 39 says this. It says, do not throw away this confident trust. Do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. Patient endurance, another word for persistence, is what you need now, look at this, so that you will continue to do God's will and then, and then, you will receive all that He has promised. For just a little while, the coming one will come and not delay. Sounds like Habakkuk, right? And my righteous ones will live by faith. There's Habakkuk again. But I will take no pleasure in anyone who turns away. But we are not like those who turn away from God to their own destruction. We are the faithful ones whose souls will be saved. So look at that last point on your outline. Persistent prayer continues to pray continues to live, and continues to do the things that please God. Hebrews 10.36 said, Patience and endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do God's will. So that you will continue to do God's will. Persistent prayer continues to pray, continues to live, and continues to do the things that God has called us to do. And this is so huge, guys. It is so huge. It's so huge because it is that consistent life of doing what we know to do and doing what we know to do and doing what we know to do that ultimately gets us to the place God has for our lives. So think about it for just a second. Mary and Joseph, the last verse we read out of Luke chapter 2 today said this. It said, when they had fulfilled all the requirements of the law, they went home. Now think about what had just happened. The birth of Jesus, the pregnancy of Jesus, the birth of Jesus had been astounding. Angelic visitations, 
divine encounters, supernatural words, prophetic prophecies spoken over them. Literally, they had just, Jesus is eight days old, and they just took Him to the temple, and they've got prophetic words declaring He's going to save the nations, He's going to change the world, He's the Messiah, He's the Savior, He's the Redeemer, He's the Son of God, He is everything. And when they got done getting all those words, what did they do? They went home. And Joseph started building furniture. And Mary started cleaning house and cooking meals and taking care of a baby. And for 30 years, think about this. For 30 years, nothing great happened. No signs, no wonders, no miracles, no angelic visitations, no more prophetic words. Nothing. For 30 years, Jesus was just another man. And if you didn't know Jesus when He was 8 days old and younger, then you didn't know the Jesus that we talk about. See, up to 8 days old, He was this supernatural visitation, divine encounter. God Himself robed in flesh, angelic visitations, God showing up, angels showing up, heavenly hosts, shepherds, prophets, all kinds of amazing things. And then at eight days old, it stops. Eight days old, it stops. Till he's 30. So when Jesus went to kindergarten, he was just another boy. And when Jesus went to junior high, he was just another boy. And when Jesus went to high school, he was just another boy. And when Jesus went to carpentry school, he was just another guy. And when Jesus started selling furniture, he was that guy down the road that could fix your table. But wait for it. Wait for it. Because at 30, he goes to get baptized by this crazy preacher by the name of John the Baptist. And when he comes up out of the water, the heavens part. The Holy Spirit descends. And God from heaven says, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And all heaven broke loose. And then three and a half years later, they're nailing him to a cross. And he's dying for the sins of the world. Thirty years. Seemingly nothing. But wait for it. But wait for it. But wait for it because what God has said is for the end of the thing. And it will surely come. It will surely come. It won't be delayed. It'll be just in time. Wait for it. Now look at the last part on that last point we just looked at. Persistence refuses to turn away and make its own way. One of the greatest challenges we face in prayer is that we get tired of waiting. And we want to help God. I've helped Him a lot. And it's never been good. God doesn't need our help. He desires our obedience. You, you remember that last scripture in Habakkuk we read? It says, God said to Habakkuk, Look at the proud. They trust in themselves. And then he said this, And their ways are crooked. Holy Spirit spoke to me. He said, Keith, do you realize the shortest distance between two points is a straight line? He said, Every time... You get tired of doing it my way and you try to help me. You take a detour. 
your ways are crooked. God's got a straight path. He's got a process that He's working you in. And it may be not what you thought it would. It may be going to work and changing the diapers and raising the kids and taking out the garbage and coming to church and leading a small group and nothing really spectacular and nothing really amazing and nothing really off the charts and nothing really, nothing really, I mean nothing really, just doing my thing. And nothing's really happening, God. God says, wait for it. Because every time, every time, every time you help Him. And this is what I learned about me, and I'm sure it's true of you. I, I don't help God because I don't like His plan. I just want to hurry it up. I mean, I was still trying to get where God wants me. God, you said 21 years ago, when we birthed Liberty Church, God said, this is what He said to me. He gave me a vision. He said, Keith, you're going to build North Alabama's greatest church. You're going to preach to the nations. You're going to change and shake nations for the glory of God. And praise God, we got a Holocon campus. But wait for it. Wait for it. So what, what, what do you do between the promise and the reality of it? There's the process. And every time you take a detour, every time you try to help God, you go 20 miles that way, you go 15 miles that way, you go 20 miles in the wrong direction. And here's what I know about detours. Detours delay the process. The good news is God hadn't changed His promise. But detours delay the process. So I want to challenge you to do something today. I want to challenge you to think about where you are right now. Are you on a detour? Or are you on the path that God has? Are you in the process? Or have you chosen to help God? The Lord spoke this to me. He said, Keith, he said, here's the key. He said, so many times in our lives, I want to know what should I do to get to where God's called me to be. And this is what the Lord said to me. He said, Keith, until you know what you should do, do what you know to do. And when what you know to do is not sufficient to get me get you where I want you to be, then I'll tell you what you need to do next. But stop trying to figure out what you should do and be persistent and faithful in what you know to do. There is so much opportunity around us every single day that we miss because we're trying to figure out what we should do instead of operating in what we know to do. And we miss opportunities to love, to serve, to share, to see God do what only God can do. So I want to challenge you again. Think about where you are today. Are you on a detour? Or are you on the path in the process that God has? Because here's the good news. Just as we turn away and get off the path, we can return to God. It's called repentance. We can return to the path. We can return to the process. We can get back in the place God wants us to be and we can stay the course. We can persist in prayer. We can persist in life. We can persist in living because we see the prize. Let's just bow our heads this morning as the worship team comes. I want to make two challenges before we go into worship. first challenge is simply this. If you're a Christian and maybe you realize this morning you've been helping God. And today you recognize you need to return. 
You're tired of waiting. It seems so slow. It gets frustrating. I understand. I've been there, done that, and I'm probably do it a couple hundred more times. But here's the good news. Persistent prayer is faith-filled prayer that sees the end and that trusts God with the timing. Stay the course. Embrace the process. Do what you know to do until God shows you something else to do. And be faithful. Because God's faithful. So maybe you need to return this morning to the Lord. I want to challenge you right now just to do business with God. Maybe you need to return to Him and get back on the path. Re-embrace the process. And say, God, I'm going to wait for it. And I'm going to be faithful where I'm at until I get to where you've called me to be. Second thing I want to do this morning is maybe you're here today and maybe you've never been on the path. Maybe you've never really surrendered your will to God. And that doesn't mean you're not a good person. It doesn't mean you hadn't even been to church. And it doesn't mean you hadn't prayed a few prayers. It just means that you know in your heart of hearts there has never been a time where you truly surrendered your life, all of it, from this day forward, forever, to Jesus. But maybe today you realize that's what you need to do. See, the Bible says without Christ we are lost, we are alienated and separated from God without hope. But through Christ, we have hope. There's a forgiveness of sins, and there's the gift of eternal life. And then there's a relationship with God that He offers you and me today through His Son. And there's nothing you can do to earn those things. But you can by faith believe and receive them today and all of a sudden you'll begin to see the promise and the plan that God has for you. So if that's you this morning, I want you to do something really simple but really powerful. If you're here today and you say, today I want to get on that path. I want to truly surrender my life to Christ. I've never been saved. I've never truly committed my life to follow Jesus. But I want to do that today. If that's you, I want you just to stand to your feet right now. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. This is a decision between you and God, but it matters. And this is what I know. It's a private decision, but it's not. It's a personal decision, but it's not a private decision. Because Jesus said, if you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father and His angels. But if you confess me before men, I will confess you. So if you're here this morning and you want to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, we're going to get ready to go into the last song of worship, but this is your time just to stand. I'd love to pray with you right now. Today, I want to accept Christ. Today, I want to get on that path. Commit every day of my life, forever and ever, to Jesus Christ. I need my sins to be forgiven. And I want to receive the gift of God, which is eternal life. If that's you, just go ahead and stand. We're about to worship. Father, I thank you for every person here today. I thank you for a persistent faith. I thank you today that we've got grace to wait for. Because, Lord, we know that if it seems slow, if we'll wait for it, it will come. And it won't delay. I thank you there is an appointed time and there is a perfect time. And, God, that as we persist, we can obtain the promise and see your word and your will made real in our lives. 
So bless us today, your people, with persistent faith as we worship you today. In Jesus' name, amen.